Welcome to Murder Minute. Today, the story of the sick ripper. But first, your true crime headlines. Arrests have been made in the recent murder of three friends who were fishing in Central Florida. Damian Tillman, Kevin Springfield, and Brandon Rollins were killed in what is being referred to as a massacre on a nighttime fishing trip. William Robert Wiggins, Mary Whitmore, and Tony Wiggins have been arrested for the slayings. Suspect Tony Wiggins overheard Tillman, one of the victims, talking about meeting friends at a nearby lake and followed him there where the murders were committed. Wiggins is reported to have accused one of his victims of stealing his truck and selling the engine, but this allegation has not yet been confirmed or denied. A young boy who told his mother his father was going to kill him has gone missing, and now he's presumed dead. Nakota Kelly warned his mother that he would not survive a weekend visit with his father. Though no body has been found, Anthony DeBaya, the boy's father, allegedly confessed to family members over the phone, and blood spatter and smears were found at the scene. A probable cause affidavit cited by the Indianapolis Star, alleges that the father suffocated his son with a plastic bag and dumped the body in an unknown location. This affidavit also allegedly asserts that Debaya texted Nakota's mother and said, Sometimes I hear voices. My son is in heaven. Those were your true crime headlines. Next, the story of a serial killer that shook New Britain, Connecticut. But first, a quick break. We talk a lot about physical health and mental health, but what about sexual health? Whether you hit the gym, take a walk, or meditate, if you want to take care of your whole self, you need to prioritize your pleasure along with your body and mind. When our routines are changed, it's easy to forget to check in with yourself. Put your well-being first with Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions that are designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. The stories are relatable and immersive, so you feel like you're right there. And there's something for everyone whoever and whatever you're into. Find stories about a spontaneous hookup with a hot stranger, getting closer with that sexy yoga instructor you can't stop thinking about. Or, if you're a couple, stories about trying that new toy together or getting tied up. With new content added every week, there's always more to explore. Spice things up today with Dipsy. For Murder Minute listeners, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com mm. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com mm. That's dipsystories.com mm. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, how a killer who believed he had just gotten started finally got caught. Temperatures dropped below zero in New Britain, 
On the January morning of 2003, when 29-year-old Melanie Camellini vanished, the mother of two struggled with drugs and alcohol issues, and she had been known to disappear for days or more. Before then, she had always returned. Six months later, another Connecticut woman, 44-year-old Janice Roberts, was seen getting into a blue van outside a supermarket, and she was never heard from or seen again. Less than a month after that, 55-year-old Diane Kuzak went missing too. She also grappled with addiction. The illness separated her from loved ones, so much so that they had no idea she was gone, and they never reported her missing. While no one realized it at the time, these three women were connected in unfathomably tragic ways. The disappearance of the next woman, a few weeks later, would start to shed light on that connection. Nilsa Arismendi, known as Coco to loved ones, was just 33 when a serial killer no one had been searching for lured her from the Connecticut streets. At the time, her days were full of both love and hardship. The mother of four and grandmother of four more, all of whom loved and miss her profoundly, struggled with drug addiction too. She made money through street sex work, making her part of one of the world's most marginalized populations. On July 31st, 2003, Nilsa's sister, who hadn't heard from her in a full week, reported her missing to the Hartford, Connecticut police. At first, her disappearance seemed like a solitary act and suspicion landed on her boyfriend. He passed a polygraph though and was cleared. Quickly, he shifted from being a suspect to serving as a key witness in the case. As the investigation continued, he told detectives that he and Nilsa had been letting a man named William Devon Howell stay in their motel room on occasion. Howell ran a lawn cutting business out of his van and sometimes smoked with a couple. And the last time Nilsa was seen, she was stepping into that van. Since then, no one had seen Howell or his van again either. And for a while, it seemed he was hiding. About four months had passed when a North Carolina sheriff pulled Howell over for a driving violation. When they checked his ID and realized he was a suspect in an ongoing murder investigation, they agreed to hold him until the Connecticut team could arrive and serve him a warrant. During his ride in a police car back to Hartford, Howell noticed and was not pleased that two Connecticut police officers had traveled some 800 miles for something as simple as a misdemeanor warrant. At that time, one of the officers showed him a photo of Nilsa Arismendi. Howell appeared shocked, the officer told the Connecticut Post, and immediately stated, I don't want to speak to you without my attorney. I want to exercise my right to remain silent. In other words, he knew the cops had his number. What investigators didn't yet know was that three more women had gone missing since Nilsa's disappearance. Marilyn Gonzalez, a 26-year-old mother of two, and 23-year-old Javelin Joy Martinez, a former high school track star who was recognized as missing when she didn't show up to her own birthday party. Mary Jane Menard, a 40-year-old substance abuse counselor and mother, had vanished from the area too. Soon, detectives found more reasons to suspect Howell not of kidnapping or abduction in Nilsa's case, 
but of her murder. Inside his van, a blue 1985 Ford Econoline with two broken windows covered in plywood, they discovered that several seat cushions had been removed, which seemed suspicious, as though he might have been getting rid of evidence. More strikingly, they found human blood beneath some of the van's carpet. Samples were sent to a lab, along with DNA samples from Nilsa's relatives. The results confirmed their worst fears. They showed a 99% chance that one of the samples came from their missing loved one. Authorities also came upon six videotapes in the van, which featured Howell having, quote, bizarre sex with women. The shadowy films seemed to have been intentionally shot to conceal the women's faces. Although Nilsa's body was yet to be found, she was presumed dead, and Howell was charged with first-degree manslaughter. A man the Post called a jailhouse snitch, Thomas Rodriguez, who previously worked as a credentialed informant, told investigators that he met Howell at a correctional institute. Rodriguez claimed that Howell said he wanted a fast trial because, quote, he beat the shit out of her in the back of the van, broke her nose, and threw her out of the van. He said he has to hurry up and rush the case because it's all circumstantial right now. He doesn't want there to be a body found. Rodriguez added that Howell had remarked on hating effing prostitutes. Howell also reportedly told his cellmate that, quote, there was a monster inside of me that just came out. He claimed he kept the body of one of the victims in his van for a couple of weeks when the ground was too frozen to bury her. While he waited for the ground to thaw, he said he slept beside her remains, calling them his baby. He later cut off the woman's fingertips and dismantled her jaw. For these reasons, he described himself as a sick ripper. And from then on, news outlets began calling him the sick ripper. If he hadn't been caught for Nilsa's murder, Howell said, he would have gone countrywide on a mission to kill others. As his trial for Nilsa's murder approached in January 2007, Howell entered an Alford plea to first-degree manslaughter. This meant that while he didn't admit to the crime, he conceded that there was enough evidence against him for a conviction. At his sentencing, Howell swore that he did not kill Nilsa, the bloodstains found in his van, he said, were from a brawl she had there with her boyfriend. In an attempt to get his Alfred plea thrown out, he claimed that he only entered it because of public defender pressure. In the end, he was sentenced to 15 years in prison for Nilsa's murder. Weeks after the trial ended, a hunter came upon human bones behind a shopping mall in New Britain. They turned out to be the remains of Diane Kuzak, Javelin Martinez, and Mary Jane Menard. Then more remains were found, including those of Nilsa Arismendi and Melanie Camellini. In November of 2017, Howell pleaded guilty to the additional murders and was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences. On the stand, he cried and apologized to the victim's families describing his crimes as, quote, monstrous, cowardly, and selfish. He said he deserved the death penalty, which wasn't an option, and insisted that his health problems, such as diabetes, would eventually kill him. 
In an interview with crime writer and attorney, Anne K. Howard, she asked Howell why he had killed. He replied, it wasn't about killing Anne, it was about raping. The prosecutors don't know this, but I didn't just rape three of them. How could they know that I raped just three? The bodies were nothing but bones when they dug them up. I raped all of them except... And then he added Janice Roberts' birth name, a man's name. She was transgender, and Howell picked her up in his car, thinking she was a female sex worker. When he pulled her wig off and perceived her as a man, he said, he skipped the rape part of his plan and went straight to the murder. Howard spent a great deal of time communicating with Howell through phone calls and letters, gaining his trust, and later published the derivative book, His Garden, The Confessions of a Serial Killer. She said she wrote the book not to be salacious or explore good versus evil, but to get into the killer's mindset of what causes someone to commit such horrific crimes. She told NBC Connecticut, This man had a sexual addiction and he was trying at an early age to numb himself from very real psychological pain he was going through. And his addiction served as a source of escape. It evolved into a sadistic sexual addiction that gave him an outlet for his rage. Howell opened up to her at length about childhood problems, drug problems, his disdain for prostitutes, and more. In the end, she said she saw him as a deeply, mentally troubled human being with a monster inside of him. At times, his words left her so gutted, she couldn't bear to hear them. But she said she also, at times, felt compassion for him. Perhaps above all, Howard has deep sympathy for the victims and their loved ones. Like a monster they weren't born with, raised to become or choose, that pain is something they will never escape. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.